Glad you guys are here. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke 11. We'll get back into John next week. I want to look at Luke 11 today. So last week I was on a mission trip to Memphis with our fourth and fifth graders. So we had 16 kids, four of whom were middle school counselors. The rest were elementary school. We had 11 adults. We were in this area of Memphis called Brinkley Heights. We were working with a group called Street Reach, which came out of Brinkley Heights Baptist Church. Uh, and uh, Street Reach, their, their main ministry it, it was that we were a part of, at least, I think it's the, it's the heart of what they do, is geared towards kids, 3 to 11 or 12. They do these neighborhood Bible clubs. Uh, a lot of people don't have cars, and there's not great public transportation. So in neighborhoods all around this Brinkley Heights a Baptist church, which now has become a school and has a gym. Uh, it's more of a, almost a community center at this point. Uh, they have these Bible clubs, and so uh, we, we were a group, and we, our Bible club site was just happened to be across the street from the church, and we would meet together in the morning, and they would divide our group up into these different colors. They had these routes. I think there were five or six routes, and so me and um, my youngest, Ty, who's going into the fourth grade, and Karis Watkins, who's going into the fifth grade, and Jarrett Watkins, who's going into the seventh grade, we were a team, and we would go to this apartment, and we would um, knock on doors, which is you know, totally, I love that. Um, <laughs> so we would do that, knock on doors, and we would say, you know, street reach, uh, do you have any kids that want to come to Bible club? And then we would take three, five, seven kids back to this site and all of our other teams were doing the same things on their routes and then we do hour and a half or two hours of games, crafts, a Bible story and then we would take the kids back in the afternoon we engaged in some other projects they had. The things that our team did, we did a prayer tour, we went to some of the other Bible club sites and got a little history on them and prayed for those sites and then there were a couple of uh, open gym afternoons and we would go to the gym and play basketball and um, hang out with kids and do crafts and and that type of stuff. It was, it was good. Um, I, as I was there, they didn't use this language, but, but I would say that they're committed to community transformation. They want to see their community transformed by God, and that's what we want to see as well. Memphis is not Marietta. It's 10 times as large in terms of population. It's way, way, way more dangerous and significantly more impoverished than Marietta, but people are people, and God is God, and there's some things that we can learn. And so what I want to do today is in a pretty ragged, I'm just being honest, a pretty ragged fashion, share with y'all some of the things I'm still processing. It's always dangerous coming off a retreat or a mission trip to make declarations and pronouncements. It's usually not wise, and so I'm not doing that. I'm just sharing some things that I'm still working through, thoughts and emotions, and I want to share those things with you through the, the grid of Luke 17. It was a passage that Maggie and Jenny uh, taught at uh, Bible Club one day. And it's a passage that the guys used for a devotion one morning. So this is a story you may be familiar with, Luke 17, starting in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Your Bible may say, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said, go slow, or excuse me, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? 
has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. Then Jesus said to them, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So the, the middle chunk of Luke from the end of chapter 9 through about the end of chapter 19 is Jesus traveling from the north in Galilee to the south in Jerusalem. There's a crowd with him. You, you can't tell from our passage there's a crowd with him. His disciples, some women who travel with him, there's some Pharisees in the mix, and then just some other people who have varying degrees of understanding of who Jesus is and commitment to him. So there's actually a crowd watching all of this. It's not solo uh, Jesus uh, interacting with these 12 guys. And the way a, a Jewish person would normally travel from Galilee to Judea, from the north to the south, is they would go around Samaria. Samaria, uh, there was a lot of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews considered the Samaritans heretics and, and uh, half-breeds because they had mixed, they had mixed uh, ancestry with Gentiles, and they didn't follow the entire Old Testament. They worshipped in the wrong place. Uh, uncleanliness, that ritual uncleanliness was considered contagious, and so you don't want to go through Samaria because you may get kind of those Samaritan cooties, and then you'd get to Jerusalem, and you'd have to be cleansed before you could worship in the temple. And so you walked around. So Jesus is on the border of Samaria and Galilee, and he comes to a village. We don't know if it's a, Samar a Jewish village or a Samaritan village, and there's ten lepers outside, and that's where they should be. When you hear the word leprosy in the Bible, don't think of what we know to be leprosy in our day and age. Think more of a, just a, of a skin disease, maybe something like psoriasis, something that would create splotchy or scaly skin, not life-threatening. But it had significant impacts on someone. If they did have, we'll just say leprosy for the sake of ease, if they did have that condition, they were ostracized. They, were, they had to live outside of the town or outside of the village. They couldn't live in their home and they couldn't go worship in the temple. They were considered unclean. And again, that ritual uncleanliness is contagious. So nobody could be around them. They wore their hair messy. They tore their clothes so people would know to stay away. And if you got near them, they, would, they were supposed to yell, unclean, unclean. So you would know to steer clear. It's not that you just didn't want to touch them. You didn't want to touch anything that they had touched or you would become unclean. That object was unclean, and so if you touched it, then you became unclean, and there was a whole process you would have to undergo to be purified. So these guys are standing at a distance, and they call to Jesus Master, which is an interesting word in Luke. That word is only used uh, by disciples. The only people who call Jesus disciples in Luke are, or excuse me, who call Jesus Master in Luke are disciples. Every other stranger who approaches Jesus calls him a teacher. So they have some, there's some sense of understanding of who Jesus is, maybe even commitment to him. They obviously were not in the crowd. They were lepers and wouldn't have been allowed. They were staying outside this village. But they say to him, Master, have pity or have mercy on us. And Jesus says to them, go show yourself to the priest. So the priest didn't heal, but he would confirm that someone had been healed. So you have this skin condition. There's this protocol in Leviticus 13. You can go back and read it if you want for diagnosing these skin conditions and then determining whether having that skin condition made you clean or unclean. And then you would periodically go back to the priest and present yourself and he would look you over. And again, based on those guidelines, would, de would declare you either clean, you can go back home, you can worship in the temple, or unclean, you got to stay outside and you can't worship at the temple. So Jesus says to them, go show yourself to the priests. And so they do. They turn and they start to leave, but they're still leprous. So to me, that's an expression of faith. They're leaving and they can see their skin is still splotchy and scaly. Nothing has changed. 
But as they go, they're cleansed. So their skin is cleansed. All of that splotchy, scaly skin is washed away, and they're healed. And one of those ten returns, praises God. It's kind of that beautiful symmetry. This guy who for weeks or months or years was yelling unclean, now out of the same mouth is yelling praise to God. and Falls down at Jesus' feet, this expression of submission and reverence and acknowledgement of Jesus' power and authority. And he thanks him, appropriate for the miracle that he's received. And then Luke says, by the way, that guy was a Samaritan. So if you're in the crowd, and this guy who comes back, and, you, and, and he returns to Jesus, and he's healed, and you find out he's a Samaritan, if you're a Jew, you're shocked, and maybe even offended. God would extend grace to this half-breed, heretic Samaritan. Doesn't know where to worship doesn't read the whole Bible. And then that he would return to Jesus and be commended. Jesus says, you know, where, where, what, weren't all ten healed? Where's everybody else? Is there no one who returned to give thanks except for this one foreigner? And then he says to this guy, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. That word is saved. Your faith has saved you. All ten experience grace from God, but only this foreigner. Only this Samaritan is reconciled to God. That word foreigner doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament, but it does appear at the temple. If that guy had ever tried to go to the temple, what, before he entered the, the, the court of the Gentiles, he would see this sign, and there's uh, a copy of it there up on the screen that said, no foreigner, there's that word, can enter here, except on penalty of death. Then the irony that this one who couldn't enter the temple where the Jews believed God lived, but is able to worship God, in the person of Jesus at his feet. So there's the story. You've heard that story before. I'll try to give you a few handholds through the lens of what I felt like the Lord was beginning to show me during my time in Memphis. And again, it's not fully processed. I was in a room with 10 other guys, some of whom thought showers were optional, and so it wasn't exactly, it wasn't prime reflection time. But uh, a, a few things. So uh, there was every morning we had this, they called it Pastor Tim time. So this guy who was the pastor at Brinkley Heights Baptist Church, uh, he'd been there for about 30 years. He didn't start the church. He had been called there about 30 years prior. And then uh, Street Reach came out of this church, and it was now separate. I think it's run by his son now. It's not run by him. And we would go, and we would, he would talk to us 45 minutes or an hour. And uh, he has this whole collection of stories that are, are mostly heartbreaking and Tragic, which is what you would expect from based on the place where he lives and ministers. And out of the, the, the grid of these stories, he was kind of telling you the history of Street Reach and their ministry to this neighborhood. And there are two things that he shared that, that resonated with me or, or, or maybe even convicted me. is actually probably a better word. One, one thing he said was, we built a Christian school for non-Christians. And the second thing he said was, have you ever wondered what makes a child mean? So they're his stories, not mine. I'm not going to try to tell them, but just a little context. They'd been ministering for several years in this area, and they were doing uh, multiple outreaches during the week. And then there was a drive-by shooting. There were nine people in the house. There was a drive-by shooting. Five people were shot, and a little girl, I think she was three years old, got killed. And that obviously devastated the neighborhood. And coming out of that, what Pastor Tim felt like the Lord said to him was fight for the children. And he's kind of going, what do you think I've been doing? I mean, we're, do we're doing all this stuff. 
And as they prayed and talked, the, the phrase that they grabbed onto, and he said it was not original with them, but they adopted it, was he who spends the most time wins. He who spends the most time wins. So they started a school, a Christian school explicitly for non-Christians, for these kids in their neighborhood. Because they said, we want to spend more time with them. We don't just want a couple hours in the afternoon for Bible club in the summer. We want them all day, every day, because the one who spends the most time wins. And I'd never thought of that my whole life. Not one time have I ever thought of a Christian school for non-Christians. Every Christian school I know, you've got to sign a covenant that says, I'm following Jesus, or they don't let you in the door. And there's no, I'm not criticizing that at all. I taught at one of those schools. I'm not criticizing that. But the idea that Christian school could be for non-Christians. We're going to teach you how to read, and we're going to teach you how to add, and we're going to teach you who Jesus is, and we're going to disciple you because we're going to have you for eight hours a day, five days a week, nine or ten months a year for 12 years because the one who spends the most time wins. And I thought about that, and I thought about me, and I thought about us as a church committed to community transformation. And what, what, what's the pair? We're not starting a school. But what's the, what's the application for me and what's the application for us as a church to think about uh, building a Christian school for people who aren't Christians? Jesus is for the church, but he's also for the world. So how does that land on you and what does that mean for us? And then a couple of days later, he told this story about this little kid. I think he was four. I can't remember his name. He was mean. He was mean to the other kids and he was mean to the volunteers. And so they bring him to pastor tim's office so he can you know kind of straighten him out and love on him and he you know kind of does the whole grandfatherly thing with him and thinks he's breaking through and this little four-year-old boy looks at his desk and grabs a stapler and just cracks him in the head busts his forehead open and pastor tim he says my question is what makes a kid mean what makes a kid at four years old that mean and i wonder for me and i wonder for us we ever dig beneath behavior. You think about those guys who are lepers, and that's something you can see. You see it, the splotchy, scaly skin. You can make judgments, and some of them are right, and some of those are wrong. And I think about in our city, whatever leprosy looks like for us. Do we ever dig beneath? Do we ever spend enough time with people to find out why? What makes a kid so mean? What makes a person act that way? Do we write them off? If you were in the audience and you were a Jew and a Samaritan comes back, you're offended and you're shocked. And I start going, are there people in my life and in our city and I'm offended and I'm shocked when they receive the grace of God? In my mind, I would say they don't deserve the grace of God. And you would say, well, grace, nobody deserves it. It's what's called grace. It's not payment. It's not reward. And I know that in my mind, but by my actions, do I live accordingly? Or are there people who I think, well, they don't deserve it. They're outside the, the scope of God's love for them? Am I willing to build a Christian school for people who aren't Christians? Am I willing to ask and spend the time and take the time to say, what makes a kid mean? Those lepers, they knew enough about Jesus when he walked by to say, Master, have pity on us. They knew something. They knew that he was the kind of guy who could heal them and that he was the kind of guy who would heal them. How did they know that? Somebody must have told them. In Luke 5, Jesus heals a leper in Galilee. And they're on the border of Samaria and Galilee. And maybe the little leper grapevine, the word had spread. Hey, there's this guy. And I I went to him and I said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he said, I am willing. And he touched me. Nobody nobody does that. 
who touches a leper? And he said, be clean, and immediately I was clean. And so maybe they've been on the lookout for Jesus, and when they hear he's coming, they start calling out to him, have pity on us. And I start thinking for me, and I start thinking for us. Are the people who are the most desperate, whether that's physically or spiritually or emotionally or relationally, are those people who are the most desperate, do they know enough about Jesus to know that he's the kind of guy who could and the kind of guy who would? And if they don't, how much of that's on me? And how much of that's on us? Because we haven't shown them. We haven't told them. We don't spend any time with them. Not guilt, just a question. Now look at those 10 guys and only one comes back. That's a 10% hit rate. That's a failure. One out of 10 people respond correctly. One out of these 10 guys, they're all healed. But only one guy comes back and thanks Jesus. Only one guy is reconciled to God, even though all 10 experience the grace of God. And I think about the time that it takes to show people that God loves them. The time that it takes to, ex- to be a channel of God's grace day in and day out. And how wearying that can be and how frustrating that can be and how disappointing that can be and how thankless that can be. And I wonder, am I the kind of guy and are we the kind of people who are willing to keep washing feet knowing that many and maybe even most aren't going to say thank you? They may even tell us we're doing it wrong. It's not even about more significant than than their lack of thanks to us is their lack of response to God. Many, and unfortunately maybe even most, won't receive grace as grace from God. They'll just keep on going with their life, never even acknowledging the gift that God has given. But am I willing to continue to wash feet, to continue to embody by the power of the Spirit, the love and the grace of God. So we go to this, every morning we go to this apartment complex, Harmony something or other. Again, it's me and Jarrett and Karis and Ty. and I'm the adult in the group. So I'm not exactly sure what my role is. Um, but I'm, I'm the adult in the group. And so we go and there's five or six buildings. I think there's about 7,000 apartments whose doors we have to knock on. That's what it felt like to me. Anyway, there's probably 40. But it felt like 7,000. <laughs> And so the first day, we start top floor, knocking on doors. Some people answer, some don't. Some yell, who are you? Street reach. You got any kids that want to come to Bible club? Some say no kids. Some say we don't believe in the Bible. Some say go away. And so that first day, we knock on every door. There's uh, two sisters that come out. They're they're half-sisters. Melody and Destiny. Destiny's five, cute little girl, and... Melody's 11, she's respectful, she's polite, she participates. I'm thinking, those are the kids that we want in Bible club. That's who we want. Melody's had a difficult, I mean, her life is not easy. We talk about it. She's had some problems with her dad and her stepdad, but she's learning how to pray. And um, Like, yes. And then we keep knocking on doors, and there's this girl who comes out, and she's seven. And her name is Prantis. She's, it sounds like Prentice, but she spells it with an A, Prentice. And she's sullen. She's selfish. She's racist. She's stubborn. And we got to walk back. It's about 20 miles that we walk back from the apartment <laughs> to this Bible club site. It's 
132 degrees outside. And she's like, carry me. You weigh 75 pounds. I'm not putting you on my back. And she's crossing her arms and pouting. And so anyway, we get her there. And the whole time, she's just, she's not fun to be around. She's just punk. And so the next day, we start, after a couple of days, we start figuring out which doors have kids. And it cuts down on the number of knocks that we have to do because we figured out who has kids and who doesn't have kids and, and who's told us they don't believe in the Bible and not to come back. And so we've got, we, we've narrowed things down. And so like when we get to Melody and Destiny's door, I knock like this because I want her to answer. I want them to come. And when I get to Prantis's door, I knock like this because <laughs> I don't want her to come. And she opens the door and I'm like, you don't want to come to Bible club. Yeah, I do. And so she comes, and it's the same thing. Carry me, I'm not carrying you. And we get there and back, same way, next day, same thing. Opens the door. You don't want to come to Bible club today. She comes. She says, she, we start walking, and she's wearing, that, like, I, girls wear them. They look like shoes a gladiator would wear them. I've never seen a gladiator. They seem like the shoes a gladiator would wear. It's got the big strap in the back, or the big sheath in the back, and all these straps on them. So she's wearing these sandals, no socks. And she said, my feet hurt. I'm like, praying, you got to walk. My feet hurt. you got to walk. It's the one time our, we have one person in our group is super responsible, but we don't have Band-Aids. And I say, take off your shoe. And she takes off her shoe, and she, has a, she does have a cut, and it's about the size of a third of my pinky fingernail. Super small, but she does have a cut. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. All right, you, I'll carry you. So 75 pounds climbs up my back, 20 miles back to the camp. It's 117 degrees. I bet you 12 times she says run. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not running. And she kept saying lift me higher. I'm like praying. And she weighs 75 pounds. And at one point she's like, you're sweaty. Put yourself on your back and let's see, let's see how this goes for you. When we get there. That day, and she's a jerk the whole... I'm like, I carried you here, and you're still a jerk. The last day I see her, Ruth Allen Bryant's one of the people in our group, and she's won her over. I hadn't seen her smile the whole time. She's smiling, she's laughing, she's participating, and I'm thinking, all right, this walk back is going to be okay. So we get dropped off in a bus in the morning, and then we walk the kids back. Then we walk the kids to the apartment, and then we get a ride back. The kids are not allowed to ride with us, so we only have to walk two ways. So we're walking them back after the Bible club. And again, at this point, it's one, so it's 170 degrees, not 117 degrees. And we're tired. It's our last day. And we're all wrung out. But she's had a great day. And I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome. One of the crafts they did that, they did this craft, they did a beach ball. And so she takes it and she starts hitting this girl who's older than her. And I'm like, Prantis, she can beat you up. Stop. She keeps picking at her. Then she throws her ball. She pouts and says, carry me. And I'm like, I'm not carrying you. And she's terrible, terrible the whole way home. And we drop her off, and I'm thinking, I'm glad it's Friday. And then the questions that I have over the next 48 hours as I'm thinking about Luke 17 and Memphis and Melody and Prantis and me and Marietta and Stonebridge and community transformation. Do I see Prantis? As someone who's 
inside or outside the scope of God's love and grace. I would say I would be shocked for her to receive God's grace. Should I be? And what does that say about me? And what does that say about us? Am I willing to spend the time to ask, what would make a seven-year-old so mean? Am I willing to do that with her? I only had a week. If I had more, would I spend it? Would I keep knocking on the door like this, hoping she didn't answer? Am I willing to say, we built a Christian school for kids like her. Melody can come too. We built it for kids like her. Whatever that version of that is for me and for us. Am I willing for days and weeks and months and years to wash her feet, to love her in such a way that at some point when she gets desperate, she could say, Jesus is the kind of guy who could and who would. Am I willing to do that for her, knowing there's a very good chance she's never going to say thank you. She's probably going to tell me I did it wrong. And she may never turn toward Jesus. Let's take a minute and pray. a couple of ways you can respond this morning. I don't want anybody moving out of guilt. Motivates for about 20 minutes and you're done. One, you may be a leper and you may be high, very much in tune to your need this morning. And I want to encourage you to call out to Jesus. He's the kind of guy who can and he's the kind of guy who will. We'll have ministry teams are up in the front. If you have a need and you're very, again, you're aware of what that is, most likely it's not, it's not something that we can see. It's not an external, but you're aware of it. I want to ask you to come forward and let these guys pray for you. And you say, God already knows my need. He does. But there's something about calling out to him. The mixture of faith and humility that's required to verbalize your need to another person. There's just something about that that God responds to. So again, if you're if you're a leper this morning, if you're aware of your need, please let these guys pray for you. You may be in the crowd this morning and you're thinking about, and I would encourage you to begin to think about your Marietta. That's a phrase that we use. If you're a Christian and you're a missionary, you've been called and sent by God. He's, he's planted you somewhere among a people and in a place. And what he's saying to you is work that ground and Love those people until I call you somewhere else. That may be your neighborhood. It may be your office. It may be more of a people group you have an affinity for. If you're a Christian, then, you're, then you've been called by God as a missionary, and he sent you somewhere. As you think about your Marietta, again, whatever that means for you, are there people in that mix? And you're thinking, I'd be shocked, maybe even offended, if they receive the grace of God. You may want to ask the Lord to give you compassion for them and take this time to begin to pray for them. We talk about doing our deal, living out 
the good works that God has created in advance for us to do? What does it look like for you in the place where you are in life and the calling God has given to you? What does it look like for you to build a Christian school for non-Christians? Don't think about starting an organization. Don't think about anything grand and heroic. Think about mustard seeds, not mustard trees. But just that shift in perspective, what would that look like for you? Just to be reminded of your calling, that you're a missionary. The most important thing about you is that you're a son or a daughter of God. And the corollary to that truth is that you're also a sent one. Those two things go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Maybe you're getting tired and you're weary and this morning you need to re-up with the Lord and say, you know what, I am, I'm sick of washing these people's feet. They're ungrateful. Maybe they're even unkind. I certainly don't see them softening in their posture towards you. What would it look like for you this morning to realize that you're you're not, you're not working for a pat on the back. You're washing feet. Because he's washed yours. We live in an affluent area. It's so easy for the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things to choke out the kingdom of God in our life. And, and maybe this morning you just want to be, you just want to remind yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to remind you again of that calling to live as a missionary and to seek his agenda even above your own. So Holy Spirit, would you come now and again without, you don't you're not a guilt-inducing God. And so my prayer is that with conviction and with compassion that you would move in the hearts of every man and woman in this room and that we would all respond in faith and in hope for how you want to use us, what you want to do in us. I do pray for those in the room who are keenly aware of their need. I pray that this morning those needs would be met in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ministry teams, you guys can come forward. The rest of you guys can stand, but we'll dismiss us. If you're on the ministry team and you see that these teams are full, if you would come forward just so people don't have to wait in line, that would be.